0: Women have a unique role in creation. Women are the nurturers, the birth givers, the more spiritual of the genders. And Torah teaches that women have a special status. Join Mashi Lipska for the next hour as she expounds the Torah wisdom specific to women. Only on 101.9 High FM.
1: i got nerves. More and more difficult to actually speak during these times. And the reason for that is that each and every one of us has been, I think, saturated, exposed to so very much. All of these wonderful ideas, WhatsApp messages, exchanges, it has been a chance to think, a chance to discuss. And what is left for us to do on this, the Friday before Pesach is to either actually come back to what we would be doing if this were a regular Erev Shabbos Haggadal and to add to it. It becomes so important for each one of us to be something Extra at this time. And on the show today, what I'd like to do is to actually dedicate some time to the dads, to the moms, and to the children, all of whom have been pushed together, as it were, into a most unusual time and who together now are going to try to prepare on this special Shabbos, special Friday, before the special Shabbos, for the very special time of year called Pesach. So let's begin with a joke. You know about Yossel, he tells his boss, we're doing some very heavy Pesach cleaning at home tomorrow. My wife needs me. She needs me to haul stuff up to the attic, out to the garage, to actually help her bring in the heavy boards, to cover the kitchen, to bring in all the Pesach pots and pans and the Pesach stove. You know, we need to capture certain things. The boss stops and he says, Wait, Yosel, just wait a minute. We're shorthanded. I just cannot give you the day off. And Yosel says, Thanks, boss. I knew I could count on you. But the truth is that this year, things are really, really different. People are not really working a steady job, or people are out of their daily routine. Men and women, and kinder also. There isn't that, you got to get up quickly, time for you to get to school. Oh, I've quickly got to make my lunch and run to the bus. I've got to get into the car and get on the road before the traffic is heavy. All of that has come to a standstill. And although we are busy from morning to night, the roles are rather different. If we look at the Parsha this week, we find one of the daily services performed by the Kohanim, that are discussed at the very beginning of the parsha, And it seemed to be quite a mundane activity of removing one scoop of the ashes from on top of the Mizbeach, the altar, and placing that scoop on the ground near the ramp of the Mizbeach, the altar. Miraculously, the ash that was placed on the ground was swallowed up by the ground on that spot. And that job was considered a great honor. And the Kohen doing it would wear his priestly garments. This Avoida, this service had to be performed every single morning. And every morning, the Kohanim would draw, draw lots to determine who had the lucky number, who would have the privilege of removing that scoop of ashes from the middle, from on top of the Mizbeach. But every so often, the pile of ashes on the Mizbeach needed to be be cleaned out properly. There was just too much there. It was interfering with the Offerings that had to be consumed. On those occasions, the very same Kohen, who had won the draw on that day, would actually be the one to take out all of the ash. And for that, he had to take off his usual priestly garments, and he would dress in other garments that were less prestigious. And then take the ashes off of the altar and out of the temple to a sacred place. And our sages ask, why did he need to change his clothes? And our sages discuss it. They compare it to the following. They say that the daily removal of ashes is like a servant pouring wine for his master. When he pours wine for his master, it's true. His clothes might get a little bit dirty. But he's doing such a wonderful thing. He's serving in the presence of his master. It's only fitting that he be dressed appropriately. We'll be right back after this
0: short break. You're listening to Conversations with Meshi only on 101.9 High FM.
1: As we were saying before the break, speaking a little bit about the Parsha, we were discussing the removal of the Deshan, of the ash from on top of the altar. And every day one of the Kohanim would be the lucky winner of the lottery to have that honor, and he would be dressed in his priestly garments to do that activity. We also said that once in a while there were so much ash on the misbeach, on the altar, that it had to be cleared. And the Kohen who had won the lottery on that day would also be the one, the very same one, to remove the ashes. But for that he would change his garments. And the question is asked, why did he need to change his clothes? And our sages are chachamim, compare the daily removal of the ashes to a servant pouring wine for his master. It's true. The clothes he wears might get a little bit dirty. They might be splashed a bit by the wine. But it is only appropriate for him to be dressed properly in front of his master. But the occasional deep cleaning of the ashes is like preparing food in the kitchen. The master is not present there. So the servant can wear simpler clothes. Clothes that could become more dirty. He doesn't have to dress in that same manner. So the question is asked, if these two services are so different, shouldn't they be done by two different kohanim? If the one servant is like the role of the chef, And the other one, the role of the waiter. If the one is done as it were, as if in the kitchen and the other one at the table, why must the same Kohen do both, but change his clothes in between? But this actually shows us that when we're serving Hashem on His terms, no matter what He wants us to do, The work is holy. Had these roles been fulfilled by two different kohanim, it could insinuate that one is greater than the other. But when they're both done by the same person, we understand that they are equally honorable. In our times, which is a devastating time, where the news we hear from the dear ones around the world and locally is news that devastates, that breaks the heart, that spurs us on to deeper prayer. And at this time, when we are kind of in lockdown, we have the choice. We can either be frustrated or maybe even feel demeaned by our sense of displacement. The dads may not be used to sitting at home all day. Dad could think, I have a job. Why am I playing with my two-year-old? I should be doing something more lofty. I should be, perhaps, attending a shiur. But the answer is that right now, This is where Hashem has put us. And the needs in the home are many. And we need to understand whether we are a student, whether we are a child, whether we are the mom, the grand, whoever we are, the times are not simple. And the time that Hashem has put us into is exactly where Hashem wants us to be and for now this is our divine service this role and the role that we are used to playing they're equal and they're honorable because like the service of the Kohain in the temple both are for Hashem in truth this time makes us understand that the way we live our lives, the choices we make, the way we spend our time, everything should be a service of Hashem. We become so enmeshed in thinking this is my life, this is my style, this is what I like to do, want to do, hate to do, am forced to do. But we can understand that by divine providence, whether it's as clear as it is now or whether routine kind of steps in and we can think that things, God forbid, just run because at all times and in all places, what a gift it is to be able to be connected to the fact that Hashem is the loving director, creator, director, planner, and loving father of all of creation. And so at this time, where the Parsha tells us, whatever needs to be done is a service to Hashem, at this time, let us prepare for Pesach. And what does it mean to prepare for Pesach? It means that we have the ability to also find ways to become free. Pesach is a festival of our liberation. The festival of our liberation does not just mean an historical event that happened thousands of years ago, that in the year 2000, 248 after creation, Hashem decided Hashem took us out of Egypt. No. Those things that happened then continue to happen now. And everything that happened then is a lesson for us. And there is something that we can do to reenact Exodus from Egypt right now. In fact, there are six remembrances. There are six things we need to remember every single day. And they are in our Sidur, at the end of the morning service. And the very first one is that every day we must remember the day we left Egypt. Because it is right now. It is happening to us. Now, if we feel like we're in Egypt right now, we need to look to Exodus from Egypt to see what was Egypt, what is Egypt for us, and how can we get out. Prepare your spiritual side of Pesach, Maxi's butchery on the strip, and the Kolo bookshop Have wonderful Haggadot for your Seder. There are family Haggadot, children's Haggadot. There's Pesach Krohn's new Haggadah. And also the cats and new comic Gorf Haggadah. They're all available at the butchery and at the bookshop. From yesterday and onwards, the Haggadah is available for you. We'll be right back after this short break.
0: You're listening to Conversations with Mashi only on 101.9 High FM.
1: And now something for the Kindelach, which the child within us also enjoys indeed. Kindelach, today we're going to hear about the Divine Staff, the Mateh of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Staff with which Moshe performed miracles in front of Pharaoh and split the Red Sea, but not really that he performed the miracles as it were, but on the instruction of Hashem, when Hashem said, raise your staff and do this and do this, Moshe Rabbeinu obeyed. When Hashem created this wonderful world, he created many things, and one of them, was a wonderful staff, like a walking stick. It was made of sapphire and it had God's holy name, the divine name engraved on it. There were also ten Hebrew letters and they are the initials of the ten plagues that were going to come against Egypt. When God made Adam, when Hashem created Adam in the Garden of Eden, He gave him this staff. Adam lived 930 years, and before he passed away, he gave it to a great-grandchild of his called Hanoch, who later gave it to the son of Noach, whose name was Shem. Shem left it to Abraham, who passed it on to Yitzchak, his son Isaac. And Isaac gave it to his son, Yaakov, Jacob. And when Jacob went down to Egypt, he took this wonderful sapphire stick with him. And he gave it as a gift to his son, Joseph, Yosef. And Yosef took this wonderful stick with him, wherever he went, in the palace of the king. And when he passed away, his palace, and all his possessions became the property of King Pharaoh of Egypt. There was a man in the court of King Pharaoh called Yitro, Yisro, Jethro. He saw this wonderful staff and he took it. And later when he left King Pharaoh and he went to live in Midian, he took the staff and he actually planted it in his garden. It was a feature of his garden. Many people came and admired the stick. And some people wanted to steal it. But nobody could move it from its place. It was firmly, firmly stuck in the ground. And it could not be moved. When Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moses as a young man ran away from Egypt, And he came to Midian. He was invited to come to the home of Yitro. Jethro. Yisroy. And ultimately. When he saw that staff. He knew it belonged to his people. When he put his hand on it. The stick jumped into his hand. And when Yisroy When Jethro saw this, he knew at once that Moshe was a holy man and he would be the leader of the Jewish people. From then on, he was very kind to Moshe and he later gave him his daughter Tzipora for a wife. When Hashem called to Moshe in Midian and told him to go to Paro. To take the Jewish people out of Egypt. Hashem told him to take this divine staff with him. And then to perform miracles in front of Paroi, in front of the Jewish people. And so it was. Where is the staff today? Many years later, King David had the staff. And our sages tell us that one day the staff will reappear in the hands of Mashiach when he will come to redeem the entire world and lead the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. Let me tell you about the palace of King Pharaoh. There were hundreds and hundreds of entrances to Parai's palace. All were very closely guarded by thousands of bodyguards And they had these trained animals, such as lions and tigers, which were enchanted by the king's sorcerers. No living being could pass through this barrier, except if the king allowed it. If the king extended a special invitation, then the spell was broken, as it were. Hashem sent Moshe and Aaron to go and speak to Paroi without being afraid Moshe and Aaron went there were many elders who also started off coming toward the palace but one by one they became discouraged although they believed that Hashem was going to redeem the people fear overcame them. Only Moshe and Aaron fearlessly came to the palace and made their way to the main entrance. Immediately, the wild beasts surrounded them. But, instead of tearing them to pieces, they lay down before them and licked their feet like devoted dogs to their masters. And then, these lions and tigers stood up and led Moshe and Aaron into the palace. Inside the palace were many thousands of warriors who were guarding the entrance to the interior. They had orders to kill anybody who came who wasn't invited. They had orders to kill on sight. But when they saw Moshe and Aaron, they were filled with such awe and fright that all they could do was form a guard of honor, thousands of warriors, and salute Moshe and Aaron respectfully. At the doors of the next entrance, two ferocious beasts lay chained. When Moshe and Aaron appeared to the king's sorcerers, suddenly the sorcerers just released the beasts because they didn't realize that Moshe and Aaron had this power. And when they saw Moshe and Aaron, they let these terrible beasts go and charge against these intruders. But instead of, God forbid, attacking and mauling as they normally would, The sorcerers were amazed. The beasts ran up to Moshe and Aaron, wagged their tails affectionately, and actually accompanied them right to the king. Well, it was Pari's birthday, and many kings and princes had come to bring presents to the king, to show him honor, for he was the mighty king of Egypt. And when Moshe and Aaron appeared, it was at the very height of the birthday celebration. Parai was startled, and so were all his guests, two strange messengers. And they saw that their faces shone like the sun, that their eyes were deep and penetrating. And when they opened their mouths to speak, their words were fiery and thunderous with profound respect and awe all the kings raised their crowns and bowed down before the divine looking messengers finally Pharaoh found his voice what do you want and that is when the message was delivered the God of the Hebrews sent us with this message to you Send my people free that they may serve me. Pharaoh immediately ordered that his book of records be brought before him. In that book of records was listed the names of all the gods of all the nations of the the world. Pharaoh searched and searched, but he could not find a trace nor a mention of the God of the Hebrews. And Moshe said, you will not find our God there. Our God is everywhere. He created heaven and earth. He is the all-powerful, the eternal, the only God. I do not know your God, said Pharaoh. He has never sent me any present, nor any word of greeting. At that moment, Moshe threw his staff on the floor, and it turned Into a hissing serpent. But Pharaoh just laughed and said. If you are a sorcerer. If you are a black magician. I have plenty of those of my own. As for Israel. I shall never send them free. They are my slaves. And they shall serve me alone. Pharaoh was stubborn. And as stubborn as he was. He was wicked. And it took the ten plagues that God had to send on him before Pharaoh would acknowledge defeat and set the nation free. Not just set them free, but actually chase them out. Every plague that Hashem sent upon Egypt, was sent not just to punish them for their wickedness, their cruelty, their hard-heartedness, but it was also to show them and the entire world that Hashem is protecting his nation. It was a lesson to the Egyptians and at the same time brought so much joy and encouragement to the long-suffering, persecuted, oppressed people of Israel. And it made them recognize Hashem's divine power and his ability to protect them. You will take time at the Seder, take all night if you need to, to tell the wonders and miracles which Hashem performed in Egypt in those days. But although you might speak about it all night there would still be so much more to tell however we want to discuss one of the very special miracles and see the inner lesson in it and if we have time we can also speak about all the other miracles And the one we want to speak about is number seven. Seven, as you know, is a very special number. The number seven, Shabbos is the seventh day of the week. We have seven weeks between Pesach and Shavuot. The Tefillin are wrapped seven times around the arm. Rosh Hashanah is in the seventh month, full of the most wonderful, wonderful festivals. At a chuppah. The bride circles the groom seven times. And there are many, many other things with the number seven features. It wasn't until the seventh miracle that Pharaoh actually admitted, finally admitted that Hashem is right and he is wrong. We're going to talk about that plague in detail, but I see that we do have time. To quickly go through some of the others. Let's talk about the first plague. As you know, it was blood. What turned to blood? So water turned to blood. Water is the most important thing that we have, air and water. But water has a spiritual meaning as well. Water is actually something that keeps us alive. And Torah is compared to water. In fact, the important things in life are compared to water. The Egyptians worshipped the River Nile. Why did they worship it? Because unlike in other countries, where people turn their eyes heavenward to pray for rain, In Egypt, the River Nile overflows its its banks and thereby waters their fields. And from that, they are able to grow food and to sustain themselves. And because the welfare of all of Egypt depended on the River Nile, they would bow, they would worship, they revered the river. If it hadn't been for the Nile, Egypt would have been a desert. And because the river Nile was one of the gods of Egypt, that's why Hashem sent a plague against their god first. Amazingly, at the same time that all the waters in Mitzrayim turned to blood, there was not a drop of clear water left for drinking anywhere. If an Egyptian already had A glass of water, it too turned to blood. A pot of water, it too turned to blood. If they drew water from the well, in the bucket there was blood. But for the Jewish people, the waters remained fresh and clear. In fact, if a Jew and an Egyptian owned a well together, the Israelite would draw up clear, fresh, sparkling water. But the Egyptian could only draw up blood from the very same well. If an Egyptian saw an Israelite carrying a bucket of water and robbed him of it, it turned immediately into blood. Only if the Egyptian bought it from the Israelite or received it as a gift from him would the water be drinkable. It was a terrible punishment for the Egyptians, but it was only the first plague, and it did not melt Pharaoh's heart. The next plague was even worse. It was the plague of frogs. It looked as if the swarms of frogs knew where to go. They filled every Egyptian dwelling, but never entered a Jewish home, and you couldn't get rid of them and they turned up in the most unexpected places. They were a terrible, terrible nuisance. Strangely of all, the strangest thing was that the frogs remained within the borders of Egypt. They never crossed the borderline. For many years, the Egyptians had had a dispute with one of their neighbors about where their border ended and the other border began. But when the frogs came over Egypt, there was no more doubt To where the borderline lay. We'll be right back after this short message.
0: You're listening to Conversations with Meshi only on 101.9 High FM.
1: And so to the Kindelach we have time. We will continue to talk to you. But maybe you can even understand what we're going to speak about now. After the blood and the frogs. Hashem continued to send plagues against the Egyptians. There would be a warning. There would be three weeks of break, no plague, between plagues, and then for one full week, each plague would be sent upon the Egyptians, and they couldn't get rid of it. But after the week, it would miraculously disappear. And after the blood and the waters were clear again, there came the frogs that did not let them rest the noise was unbearable. They were everywhere, underfoot, jumping, in the pots, in their beds. And when they finally left, and the Egyptians had a bit of a break, and Pharaoh still did not believe in Hashem. Hashem sent the kinim, the lice. And then the Oroid, the wild beasts, every type of wild animal roamed through the streets and killed. People had to cower, had to hide indoors. Eventually pestilence, where a terrible plague came down upon the farm animals unless they were taken indoors, they were, they were smitten. And then something called shrim, terrible boils. But finally, the seventh plague, which is the plague that finally made Pharaoh admit, although it was temporary, that Hashem is the one who is totally in charge. Now, what was the difference between the way Pharaoh looked upon things and the way we look upon things? Pharaoh basically said, I made everything. I am powerful. I am in charge. The Nile River is mine. I And the power. And he did have a lot of power. Pharaoh knew a lot. Pharaoh controlled a lot. Pharaoh understood a lot. There was astrology. There was black magic. He was powerful. And Pharaoh and his nation did not have to look heavenward for their sustenance. Because everything came from below, as it were. The waters would rise up. Let's speak about the seventh plague. The seventh plague, the plague of borod, of hail, wasn't just ordinary hail. When Hashem told Moshe to raise his wonderful sapphire mater, his stick heavenwards, to bring the hail down, there was crashing thunder and then these massive pieces of ice and they came crashing downward but there was something else these pieces of ice massive pieces of ice each had a fire burning inside heavy heavy hail with fire inside and this was a miracle within a miracle The ice, the hail, did not melt. Ice and fire together. The water did not boil out from the fire, and the fire was not put out or extinguished by the ice or the water. And Rabbi Yehuda in the Medrash tells us that it was like A jar of ice filled with fire. For some reason, this plague finally got through to Pharaoh. Where he said, I have sinned this time. Hashem is right. I and my nation are the sinners. And he said, at least temporarily, that he was ready to send the nation. But the question is, why... Not after the blood and the frogs and the lice. Why not after the pestilence? Why not after the wild beasts, the pestilence, the boils? Why number seven now? What was the message that he suddenly got? Well, let's look at where the ice fell, first of all, or why it came. It says that the borod, this hail, broke or attacked from man to beast the grass the trees it broke them in a sense it broke Pharaoh what caused Pharaoh to recognize God finally here what made him say I am wrong so as mentioned before Egypt is different then the entire world, and especially different to Eretz Yisrael. Water is the source of life of the entire world. But where the Egyptians get their water from is not the same place where we get our water from. The world, the land of Israel, gets its water from heaven. Egypt, from the ground as it were, from the River Nile. And when there is no water, as it were, we turn our eyes to the heavens. The entire world, when it needs water for sustenance, for things to grow, for the air to be purified, they turn their eyes to heaven. And when we do, we come to the realization that everything is dependent on the blessings and the abundance that come from above. The world needs the blessing of Hashem in order to continue to live, to exist. What comes from heaven makes us realize that it is Hashem who runs the world. Hashem, however has made a partnership with us. When we pray, he responds. The first thing is that the earth needs water. And in the beginning of creation, it says, and a cloud would go up, or a cloud went up from the earth and then watered the entire face of the earth. The beginning has to come from us. We need to do what we need to do in order to get blessings from above. What do we need to do? Well, when we want rain, when we want blessings, in order to make things grow, the farmer knows he must first plow the earth. What is the earth? To plow the earth means to get rid of the bumps, to make it smooth, To break down the clumps, spiritually that means that to get the blessings from Hashem, we must first refine our physicality. We must first nullify, as it were, our coarseness, our idea that physical is important, comfort is important. When we understand that what's really important is God's blessings, And we refine ourselves. It's no longer, I like, I want, I want more, I want more. Like Yamima Mizrahi says, the woman wants to go out shopping. The husband says, you have so many dresses, what do you need another one from? She says, the woman knows, the man doesn't understand, she doesn't go shopping because she doesn't have Go shopping because she needs a new dress. We need to understand that all of that has its place. When we buy a new dress, it should be to honor the yontif. When we have wonderful food on the table, it should be to honor the Shabbos. To have guests in the home, please God soon. The way we dress, the way we eat, what we do with our money should all be to serve Hashem. Hashem wants us to take care of our families, but Hashem wants us to teach them that to give, to share, to make sure that somebody else has, brings us the greatest happiness. It isn't about, it's mine. I earned it. I want to use it. I want another trip. I want another house, I want a few more cars, I need dresses. We need the best caterer, the best band, the best florist. Who are we trying to impress? What we need to understand is we need to refine our physicality and then the amazing thing happens. A cloud rises up. Our behavior causes tremendous, tremendous downflow of abundance. And the downflow of abundance is not only for physical food. But let's speak for a moment about the Jews in the desert. And remember that when the manna fell, it didn't just fall as food. But precious gems fell as well. And the reason is because they depended on Hashem. When you turn your eyes heavenward, they couldn't plant anything in the desert. They knew it would be bread from heaven. We've got to refine our physicality. We've got to prepare the soil, as it were. We've got to make sure that there is fertile soil upon which the heavenly rain will fall. In Egypt, they didn't have that idea. Instead, they believed that it was due to them Let's look at the plague of Borod. What was it? As Rabbi Yehuda says, it was like a jar filled with a lot of fire. The jar was made of ice. And let us look at the message for Pharaoh that he actually got. Each one of these plagues was actually something called measure for measure. The way they behaved, they were Punished, or as it were repaid the way we behave in truth if we give to the poor and the downtrodden these are Hashem's children he's made them poor for a reason that we should look after them otherwise he could have given everybody equally but when we give to Hashem's needy, the widows the orphans, when we give then Hashem Showers us with much, much more. That's how Hashem runs his world very often. Midah, midah. Let's look at Pharaoh. Initially, he said, I don't need God. I don't know God. I don't turn my eyes heavenwards at all. So what does Hashem do? To teach him that everything comes from above came crashing down this ice. First of all, vayam ter, it says in the pasuk, He made it rain. Yes, from heaven. And what was it? Borod. Inside this type of rain, there was something that caught Pharaoh's eye. It actually spoke to him about who he is and who his nation is how they approach life and how they approach other people. Basically, ice outside, freezing outside, but hot inside. In other words, cold to other people, but warm to yourself. Freezing to other people, heartless, but indulgent, to the nth degree toward oneself. There was so much fire flickering inside this hail, but outside was like a jar of ice, inside full of fire. And when Pharaoh got that plague, he saw that his idea that he does not need God is not correct. And that yes, even Egypt needs God, even Egypt belongs to God Hashem is the owner of the entire world he's the owner of physicality of Egypt as well and therefore when he sent that plague it caused Pharaoh to say yes I am wrong and Hashem is right as we prepare for our Seder, let us remember that Hashem is preparing as well he is preparing our time of freedom He is preparing to show us his miracles, as he did in those days. It will be at these times. Let us prepare with joy. Let us prepare with energy. Let us prepare with absolute trust that, as it was then, it will be now, that this will become our month of liberation. Good Shabbos and good Jantif.